everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Golden Age podcast. And today I have with me Andrew Roberts. Andrew, thank you so much for doing this. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm yeah. super excited to talk about the Golden Age, talk about what you're doing. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you have to ask me as well. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I really enjoy is that this is the first podcast that the main focus will be just just the modern golden age and i mean just with quotes quotes right because i've interviewed a bunch of people and usually we, we talk about the craft that they're doing and then we segue into the modern golden age but uh you i i came across you because um a mutual friend Ulkar, which is also a guest on the show uh she she sent me your profile and said look you should talk about with, with this guy about the modern golden age uh and so here we are and my first question is really is, is how did you end up um, just exploring this this topic of a modern golden age? Yeah, it's a good question. And sometimes I have to ask myself the question, actually, because I'm not sure where the fascination started. Like maybe it was when I was 13 and my teacher gave us like a philosophy prompt to write about what a utopia would look like for ourselves mm. or something like or maybe it was when I took my theory of knowledge class in high school and like debated with my teacher then about like, what was the good and how do we achieve the good? Or uh, like, I'm not exactly sure how I got Mm -hmm. on it necessarily, but I think in many ways, it's always been a theme of my life is Mm -hmm. thinking about the good and thinking about systems. And I never really got the golden age language until Honestly, I mean, I haven't really been using the golden age language for longer mm-hmm. than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I was much more interested in like welfare was a lot of how I thought about it. I was like maybe more of like an economics mm-hmm. thinker. Um, mm-hmm. And I was thinking a lot about economic abundance and an economic agenda. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was what got me so fascinated in technology as well. So I initially went into technology to study nuclear energy because I wanted to make energy abundant because that would be really good economically for, for everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, But you know, there was, there's something, I think when I was 16 or something, you know, Elon Musk has that classic thing, which is like, write down a list of every problem that's most important in the world. And then ask yourself, like, how many of these can I actively solve or whatever right so i did that at 16 and and the ones that came up for me were like energy was like really really high priority um and i knew that i could solve that so i so i went after it there's Mm -hmm. something where like when i reevaluate that question today uh economic problems just don't don't make my list anymore Mm -hmm. um i feel like too many people or too many that's not the right way to describe it i'm so thankful that so many people are solving those problems and they're doing Mm -hmm. it really well Actually, like if we had the political will, I think all of our like energy problems would already be solved, but there isn't necessarily. And like, where does the political will come from? Well, I think upstream of the political will is like the culture and upstream of the culture are our relationships Mm -hmm. and upstream of our relationships are our uh, philosophies and our idea of self. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, now when i list you know what are the top problems and can i contribute to them i'm thinking about like socio-cultural problems constantly i'm like oh we have declining birth rates we have increasing depression Mm. uh we have um like news cycles that are making us you know upset and like and i think i think when i sort of look at those statistics i'm i'm optimistic that not very many of the smartest people i know are directly running at those 
And if、mm. they were, I think we'd make progress much faster.、Mm. Um, but it's not obvious how you can. And that is what got me so fascinated. Is like, can I research and figure out how we can actually like make progress on these sociocultural、yeah. problems? Yeah. So that that that's a lot to unpack. So let's let. Yeah, let, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you、Sorry. just went on it. No, that's fine. That's fine. There's so many questions. Like you started, and I was like, well, I gotta ask him this, 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 this. Yeah, yeah.、Right. yeah. So let me start with first of all, like a、uh, uh, simple question, maybe, which is,、um, like, you said that you pointed out those problems. They were economic problems, and right now you wouldn't do it anymore. And I'm assuming that something inside of you changed. Right, and and it changed to that focus of、um, up, upstream of economics is、uh, um, the politicals and then cult, sociocultural and then the the relationships and then philosophy. Like, how how did you、um, realize that there was the, that that、uh, ladder or that pyramid,、um, and how like what made you understand that and then change your own view in order to focus on those problems and not the economic problems. So I always knew that there was a ladder.、Uh, well, I mean, I guess not always, but like you know,、yeah. I I think I was I was quite aware of that. It was a topic of conversation among my classmates when I was in high school and stuff. And so like we would often debate philosophy and stuff. But it's like,、uh, I and and when you debate philosophy, I think you naturally sort of think about this this ladder of of how things flow downstream. But、uh, I guess I would say there's there's a principle in systems engineering. And I think it's a really important principle, which is that a system is only as good as its tightest bottleneck.、Yeah. And I think that when you look at that ladder, it's not correct to just say that the highest level of abstraction is the most powerful. I mean, technically, yes. Like if you had like godlike control over all philosophy, and you could like somehow top down adjust the philosophy in everybody's heads. Uh, unilaterally, then, like, yes, that would probably be more powerful than any other sort of power,、yeah. um, because you would kind of have control over everything. But obviously, first of all, it's not possible, and second of all, like, you have to ask yourself, like, is philosophy actually the bottleneck、um, in the modern era? And I think a lot of philosophers would say yes, but that's not really where I end up.、Um, and when I first sort of was looking at problems, I thought that the economic problems were the bottleneck. I really did.、Mm. I mean, I thought that the bottleneck was that we didn't have enough engineers. And we didn't have enough technologists. And if more people were studying empirically how to make the world better through like applied sciences, then all those people kind of banded together would like they wouldn't be able to be stopped. Like we would just make progress on all of our all of the things that like plight us.、Yeah. Um, like global warming was a big one that I was interested in in high school. Right?、Yeah. It's like oh, that's just an engineering problem. We can just solve that with engineering. I think you're right that there was a shift in me, and I think the shift in me was sort of. Realizing that, like, actually, it's not true. Like, even if you have lots of engineers, who I so I went into the tech industry because that was my hypothesis, and、mm -hmm. there I met tons of engineers and tons of like technologists and people who are applying science in order to make things better. And I found that they were like blocked consistently、um, by different things. So, like, one of the things that I found them blocked on was like actually a lack of good ideas. Like, you had these people who like、mm. they understood science and they wanted to apply science and they like wanted to work on really important problems, but in some ways they like, I almost feel like they weren't inspired or something. Like they weren't、mm. inspired toward the good, and、uh, that to me implied that there was actually like one level higher. Like maybe like their culture wasn't quite right. Like they weren't quite embedded in a culture that was giving them good problems. So、mm. that's an important issue. And it's like, oh well, what are our cultures that are supposed to be giving us good problems? Like maybe the universities. Then you can be like, okay, should I go build it? Alternative school system and 
And, and in terms of like where I think specifically the bottleneck is and what specifically I think the intervention is, truthfully, I, I haven't figured it out, but there was a shift for me that was like, it's not in this economic realm. Actually, there are lots of people who want to work on those problems. It's somewhere in like the political or educational yeah. or social or community realms. Yeah. And it might even be a combination of all of those. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a, a complex um, problem, and 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 it brings a bunch of systems together. Like education, to me, is a big one because I understand what you're saying. Like to me, the the bottleneck, at least for my view, it's it's education. That's why I I I graduated as a musician, but I had a wrist injury, and that made me shift my my career. I went to corporate training. I did corporate training for a bunch of years, um, and and I realized back then the power of education. Like when when you when you teach a very good strategy to a team, um, in a given organization with like a bunch of people, and then you realize that by teaching that. Uh, skill or that strategy into that team that then uh, uh, starts to go all around the, the organization and you can have like a powerful shift on it on the organization by teaching a small group of people that to me uh, helped me realize that education is a very very powerful tool uh, and in order to solve the biggest problems that we're facing it's probably the place where I feel I can contribute the most uh, and that's why actually that's why I started this podcast uh, because I do believe that in order for us to get into a modern golden age we need to first of all understand what that is and what are some common principles but also to educate people on the practices that a modern golden age imply or or, or that we need to do in order to get there and so I I, I totally understand you so um let me let's let's just switch for for the the modern golden age itself and i my first question in that realm is like what is a modern golden age to you what does it look like yeah i mean it's the million dollar question in a lot of ways um and i'm also curious to get your thoughts but for me i think the modern golden age uh, I've always been very inspired by uh, enlightenment thinking and I've also been inspired by Aristotle a lot. Um, but to me, I sort of really place freedom and liberty is very, very high on, on my values list if we're talking about pure philosophy. And so I think for me, no matter what, the modern golden age will, will be about uh, removing constraints to mm. individuals increasing mm. their ability to be or their ability to actualize, increasing their ability to um, choose or make art or be creative and, and removing their constraints, removing their, their constraints on action or the constraints on culture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that therefore to me, a modern golden age is about getting people out of constraining mindsets and putting them into empowering mindsets because i believe that we are rapidly approaching way more economic abundance than is understood i guess is maybe the best way to describe it we're mm-hmm. we're not at post scarcity or anything like that there is lots of scarcity um there is there are wants there are needs um but in a country like the us for instance um or a country like lisbon the vast majority of people have enough economic abundance to survive, to have kids and to thrive mm-hmm. basically, which are mainly the things that humans need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we have enough economic abundance in order to 
to do all the things that we need to do as humans. And yet we still find that we are consistently constrained and we still find that we are consistently uh, depressed or we are not even having kids, even though it's like one of the things that our biology tells us is, is very important for us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, I mean, for each person that's different, but on average, you can see that the trend is decreasing. And I think on average, yeah. uh, people want to have kids. And so yeah, it's, yeah. even if individ- individual people don't, it, it's concerning that on average people don't more yeah. than they used to. Yeah. Um, and so I, I basically think, and, and another interesting trend that I've been watching uh, as a statistic, to track sort of what I think the modern golden age means is like people who say that life is worse for them than their parents and people who say that their children's life will be worse than theirs. So basically Mm. like the world is getting worse is Mm. the poll. And so Mm. an increasing number of people poll that the world is getting worse. Um, To me that that is a constraining, that is a constraint like that, is the epitome of what needs to go away Absolutely. if we were to move into the modern golden age. And I don't think it's correct even remotely to like blame people for their pessimism or something like that is not, mm-hmm. I think we should respect it. Like, like what if these people are, are trying to tell us something, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. what I, what I take issue with, with among technologists. And one of the reasons that my modern golden age differs from the average technologist's modern golden age is that, I think the average technologist sort of sees the modern golden age as economic abundance. Yeah. To me, I consider that we already have economic abundance and yet we do not have a golden age. So yeah. therefore it cannot be economic abundance. And I think a lot of people say like, well, that's because people are like doomers. That's mm. because people are mm. like pessimistic and they are complaining mm. and like they are special snowflakes and they have, uh, I mean, what's that book about? college students I don't know whatever like basically that that people feel entitled and are not getting what they are entitled to and they are basically like it's pushing the evil onto the individuals who are complaining about the modern condition Mm -hmm. um it's true that absolutely that like each of us has to have a responsibility for um for having the philosophy of a golden age Mm -hmm. it is not to me at all true that we should be looking at these statistics and we should be ignoring them. So to me, a modern golden age is like reversing all those treads, you know, like yeah. people should be optimistic about the future. They should think that think the world is getting better. They should yeah. like be having more kids. Uh, they yeah. should be less depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And here in Portugal, one of the things that I, I really noticed is that um, like you're, you're mentioning one aspect, which is like the, the economic abundance. And uh, like it's totally different for in the US from here uh, in, in our country. But... However, here in, in, in Portugal, we have a bunch of stuff that other countries don't have. Like, and, and of course, we're not, it's like, it's not the, the financial abundance that you probably have on the US, but we're not all, all starving, right? It's not that at all. Right. But at the same time, we do have a bunch of things like our culture is really tight. We have amazing weather. Our country is really beautiful. And yet people are pessimists as well. And they have those same problems. So I totally get what you're saying about the, the the modern golden age being about um, actually like removing the, the the constraints of people so so they can express themselves like one of the things that I really enjoyed like when I, I was I was looking to some of your notes uh, in in seniors and um, 
which by the way, was one of these things that I've heard about the, the, the concept of seniors, uh, which I'll, in a moment, I'll ask you to explain for people who don't know what it is, but it's one of those things that I stumbled upon when I was studying music because I was a friend of Brian Eno. Uh, and back then that made a lot of sense to me, but I had totally forgotten about it. And like, what, five, six years later, I, here I am thinking about a modern golden age and I follow you on Twitter. I come back with that concept. I see it. It's only a bunch of things click because that's exactly what I want to, to build. I want to build the scenes where we can then let a modern golden age emerge. Uh, and I was going through some of your notes and one of the things that you say, and I'll butcher it, it's not exactly that, this, but it's something like if you want to build one, you don't, you, you should not have like this very tight vision for 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 seniors you, you should let it uh have an open image so that it can emerge and when i was starting the podcast one of the things that really stopped me from starting was thinking that i needed to have like this perfectly clear vision of what a modern golden age looked like because i knew that if i wanted to start a podcast like that people will ask me well okay so what's a modern golden age like and i thought that i had to have like this perfect answer and then after doing some, some thinking about it, I realized that to me, one of the things that is fundamentally uh, related to modern golden age is um, co-creating stuff. Like I believe that we, we're, we're, we need to embrace the act of putting together a bunch of people and creating something, something instead of having just these, these individual visions. Uh, at the same time, I believe that that's only possible if we empower the individual, right? Uh, but... But so I, I was thinking about this uh, and, and then I realized that instead of coming here with a clear definition, what I really want to do is I, I, I and this is to answer the question that you just, uh, that you asked, like what, what is my vision of a modern golden age? Like, I have no idea, but here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to, to talk with a bunch of different people that have visions of what a modern golden age looks like and trying to find out common principles in order to then elaborate my own theory of, of what it is. And specifically, I'm focused on values, beliefs, practices, and goals that we should have as a humanity in a modern golden age. And as I was talking with like a bunch of previous guests, like two things that really stood out. One of them is freedom. That's uh, and and you, you started your answer by mentioning like the freedom from from for an individual to be whomever he wants to be, to produce whatever art or creation he wants to be, uh, he wants to do. And to me, I relate that with one of the first fundamental principles that I can honestly say that I believe it's needed in the modern golden age, which is courage. I think we need to empower people to have more courage in order for them to embrace who they are and what they want to do. Because a lot of people, what happens is they, they live in this constraints mindset. And, and, and like we were talking about high schoolers and making decisions before we started to record. And I usually, I, I talk with a bunch of them. I worked with a bunch of high schoolers. And one of the things that you hear a lot in Portugal is, is something like, I can either be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. This right. is, this is the right. perfect example of a constrained mindset. And, and I yes. think that the modern golden age is the opposite of this, right? It's, it's yes. having the courage to embrace our paths that may, that may not be the common path, but you actually can, but is the path. But also like a faith. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost like a faith that if you, as long as you keep going, there is no path which is a failure. You know, yeah, it's not absolutely. just doctor. There is no failure path as long as you are walking a path. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because, because then, because it, 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 
as you as you say, like movement allows you to be because I think that one of the things that actually characterizes the the constrained mindset is something around like there's a finish line. And yeah. I personally believe there's not a finish line. Like a finish line is when you're dead. But before that, you're always in, in, improving. You're always searching for, for something different, right? Um, and yeah, so so that that would be like my very big uh, abstract answer uh, to, to, to that question. Um, and so another thing that I will want to talk about is seniors, as we mentioned. So to everyone that's listening and that doesn't know what seniors is, please explain us. Um, yeah, so... Well, first I want to touch on, uh, I, I just want to say that like you were talking about how the like defining the golden age, you have to let things emerge. And it's like, it's not necessarily a good thing to have like sort of a top-down strict definition. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that I totally agree. I think, I think there's, there's even an interesting sense in which you could like uh, tautologically define the modern golden age and say like, oh, the modern golden age is whatever people think it is such that most people think that we are living through a modern golden age or something yeah. like the modern golden age is like whatever happens such that we have the condition where most people think that it is happening mm -hmm. um and and then just kind of like i don't know i mean there's you don't necessarily even want to have a metric of like people saying there's a modern golden age or whatever yeah. but like but there's something interesting there which is like the only things that matter are the things that convince people yeah. uh that things are better than than they were, they were. Um, yeah. but seniors, what is seniors? Uh, I think it's an open question in some ways, what is seniors, but I think other, other common terms or other areas of study that people are trying to get at when they try to understand seniors are, um, <clears throat> like great groups I often hear, uh, and like idea factories, idea machines, idea labs, like these sorts of things, um, but to me, fundamentally, what a senius means is it means collective genius, uh, as in like, um, it's a portmanteau of scene and genius, where mm -hmm. scene is an idea of a social context, um, a place where you are seen, where you see others, a place where, where people are in concert. Mm -hmm. um, so in a social context, and then genius, of which we understand, which is like to be exceptional, mm -hmm. uh, truly exceptional. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, seniors is not saying a social context where there are a lot of geniuses. That's the wrong way to think about it. The way to think about it is that a social context is its own organism. So a seniors is a social context, which is truly exceptional. Um, it produces exceptional people. It is exceptional on the measures that we consider social contexts to be. So mm -hmm. it is exceptional as far as social contexts go. Mm -hmm. Just the same way that a genius human is exceptional compared to other humans. Yeah. Um, so fundamentally, that that is what a senior says. Yeah. And so, like, you have been doing a lot of work on that area, and you have like this notion page full of notes and thoughts about it, which I love. Um, and actually, in there, you, you have notes on the specific course, right? Um, could you talk a little bit more about that 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 course and how how did you end up doing it, and what are some of the main takeaways? Yeah, so the Organizing Genius uh, reading group, I didn't even put it together, um, which, and so like partially the reason that I went to the course is because I was like, well, how can I contribute to this like sort of emerging field? Um, turns out there's like actually not very many courses for seniors, you know, it's not really taught in university or anything like that. And so there was this existing course that I found and, and I said like, well, one of the ways I can contribute to the field is I can take this course and I can critique it. 
I can basically like read every reading and sort of synthesize my notes and uh, make my own version of the course and say like, okay, I think these should be removed from the canon and these books should be added to the canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just my first dipping my toe in because I don't know, I like to think when I first start researching a field or doing a new thing, I like to think like, well, how can I contribute in the smallest way? And mm-hmm. um, basically the course is composed of a number of uh, books, which are sort of meditations on great groups of different types. Um, So it goes through the founders of universities. It goes through duos, like dynamic duos. Um, It goes through musicians, like famous musical groups, uh, famous idea laboratories, like Bell Labs, ARPA, DARPA. It goes through like collectives. Um, I I found these very interesting, uh, revolutionary groups, political Mm. groups. and in each one, of course, it's uh, there are political campaigns at one point. So each each time that you're kind of doing a meditation on these groups, these are exceptional groups. They're groups that consistently had exceptional members who made exceptional work. And I found the most interesting ones to be ones where like the people didn't even work together. Like the the crazy groups are ones where people who were just friends with each other and constantly in dialogue mm-hmm. ended up being independently genius at a level mm-hmm. that you would not expect. Can you give um, an example? On, yeah, so like a good example of this, in my opinion, is like the Inklings. Another good example is the Young Hegelians mm-hmm. um, in Europe. Uh, there's also like revolutionary groups in Europe, which are quite interesting. There's the Florentine artists, mm-hmm. where it's like the Florentine artists is a, is a particularly interesting one where it's like, okay, wait, you have this small town and you somehow produced like five of the greatest artistic minds in the in any era of human history all within a short cluster of each other and they happen to grow up in the same small town like that's statistically impossible so uh so that means that it wasn't about luck there was no coincidence like there was something in the water Mm -hmm. uh and i think that something in the water is the thing which is most interesting to study what yeah. is it that can turn otherwise ordinary people into extraordinary people just by means of a social context? Yeah, and 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 then like I, I assume after doing that, realizing what are some what are those principles that you can then try to reproduce in order to create your own scenes. Like uh, I, I remember that uh, when uh, uh, like a, um, a couple of months ago, I was talking with a friend, um, and I was and I was talking about like the kind of change that I really want to bring into the world. Um, and that absolutely relates to the podcast. But I, I always say that the podcast is a way for me to, first of all, gain more knowledge and meet new people that I can then connect. Because it all started, to me, it all started with like the, the visa meme, uh, where he has like these dominoes. And if you if you press all the dominoes, you get to the uh, golden age. And, and I love right. that. I love the meme. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. And, and I look at it and I realize, well, I want to be part of this too. So what can I do? Well, I'm good at, I'm a curious person. I, I like to talk with people. So let's try start there. And after, as I was doing this, this, this work of understanding all, 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 all related to modern golden age, I realized that what I want to do is I want to create a space where a bunch of projects that can contribute to modern golden age naturally emerge just because they're happening in that space. And I, I call it space, but but after doing some, some research and after coming and, and meeting you, I realized that what I wanted to do is to create a seniors 
um, where, where people can actually emerge and create different projects that contribute to a model golden age. I was wondering, is that your goal as well? Or are you just exploring seniors just out of fun? What's, what's your main goal when, you, when, you're, when you're exploring this, this, this topic? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I definitely want to be a part of seniors for sure. Um, and I want to help more people create them. So like, I guess the, the best way to describe it is that uh, there are multiple different goals. Ultimately, I think one of the biggest goals of mine is to create and live through a modern golden age. Uh, but in order to accomplish that, like what are the technologies that we can use mm -hmm. that are most impactful? And I used to, like we discussed earlier, think about technology from more of a tech perspective, like economic mm -hmm. technology. Um, and now I'm thinking a lot about social technology because I think these socio-cultural problems are the most important. So I guess I would say like the thing I'm most interested in with, with Seniors is how this can be used as a social technology in order to uh, give people the freedom from constraints in order to like create great things and to be excellent and to mm -hmm. cultivate virtue and to like become optimistic and to uh, mm -hmm. affect change in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, in a lot of ways, I too want to create a Seniors. Um, among other things, because I think that's the best way to understand how they work, to write about mm -hmm. them and to help other people create them as well. Yeah. Um, actually, the community that I founded in New York is called Fractal. And one of the reasons is because the idea is that it's like a, an experimentation bed for social technologies that we can uh, actually like spread outwards, almost yeah. like seedlings, and then kind of create like a fractal pattern. Yeah. It's like, oh, these social technologies can start to spread and ripple outwards. And yeah. if they're adaptive, then they will be used in many, many contexts to create many, many groups. And mm -hmm. if they're maladaptive, then they will just fail at our group. Mm -hmm. And uh, and hopefully we can like, almost like an idea lab, but for mm -hmm. social technologies instead of yeah. um, so, normal. So a, a, a quick question that, that's important. Like, what do you consider to be um, social technologies? Like for... for... It's, it's a good question. I've, yes. I've, I've read I've read some of your notes and I've read some of the articles that you you've wrote you've written but uh, for someone who doesn't understand like what what yes. do you mean with social technologies please explain so a social technology is something that we an, an instrument or an object or a simulacrum that uh, an, an abstraction a construct you know uh, that we create that helps us socially coordinate. It helps us achieve social ends. And, and, and it relies on social mechanisms of action. Mm -hmm. So like a normal technology relies on physical mechanisms of action often. Uh, mm -hmm. So like computers rely on electrical engineering, which relies on um, electromagnetics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a catapult relies on mechanics and gravity and, and Newtonian physics. Um, the social technology relies on social mechanisms of action. And those are harder to pull apart. You know, Freud tried his best and Jung tried his best. Um, but nobody has really figured out exactly the, the social mechanisms of action. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a fan of Girard's mimetic theory, among other things. I think there's like lots of different frames, but I think it's true that one social mechanism of action is that we want what other people have and want and enjoy. Yeah. We enjoy what other people enjoy. We desire what other people desire. Um, so that is, for instance, that is not a social technology, that is a social mechanism. Mm. And a social technology could rely on that in order to bring about good. Mm. So for instance, a social technology might be 
to, in a classroom setting, put in an expert who is doing an interesting uh, activity that you want the kids to be interested in. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because if kids see an expert doing something Mm -hmm. with joy and with passion and to be good at it, you know, so like if a kid sees a person in a skate park skateboarding and doing phenomenally, just having a great time, having a blast, like doing something cool, you Mm -hmm. get that sense in your body. Oh, that's cool. I want that. I want to be that good. When you see somebody play the piano and they're masterful, you want it for yourself. You want to be able to play the piano that well. So that's a social technology. If you, Mm -hmm. if you instrumentize that and you then like use it in order to uh, affect change, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And we come up with a lot of these. I mean, corporations are, I think, the classic social technology, right? Yeah. We've created this idea, which is, it's false. It's a fiction, right? But like, it doesn't matter. It's powerful, uh, which is that like a group of people can itself be an entity that you can interact with and deal with that can sign leases and can have bank notes and can have bank accounts and mm-hmm. um, and can have shares and can have shareholders and like shares. What is a share? What are shareholders? Like what, yeah. what is an investment? Like these are all social technologies. Um, yeah. Although I think what's interesting about financial technology in particular is that a lot of social technology has been formalized so much that now we call it financial technology. And it's mm-hmm. almost like, it's almost more of a formalism uh, than the sort of social technology that a lot of people are referring to when they use the term because mm-hmm. people treat it as so, so truthful. But mm-hmm. at, at some point, I mean, the original idea of a loan was, was purely social. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and and now that 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 you have explained that, like bringing again the seniors into 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 the conversation, like um, what are some of those social technologies? Like not not social technology because seniors is in itself a social technology, but what are some of the elements that you believe can lead to an emergence of a specific seniors? And because yeah. just just. Some uh, thoughts before before I uh, I'll pass you the ball to to answer. But one of the things that I really really uh, see as as a seniors and in a very uh, short uh, form um, is a jazz group because I, I I studied jazz for a long time and th- there are some principles when you play jazz in a band that plays for a while that years after dropping music and thinking about these problems, uh, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, I want to get those same rules into another group that goes beyond jazz. Because what happens when, when you're playing jazz in New York, New York as a, sen- a seniors in, in jazz, like there's a bunch of phenomenal jazz musicians that come from the, the, the same, the, that, that specific city, in, in a specific part of the city. And, and one of the things that I really enjoyed is how can we translate some of those principles in in a, in a jazz group to a bigger group, right? Uh, and things like, whenever you're playing jazz, if you're playing really well, what you're trying to do is you're trying to listen to what everybody was doing, trying to understand how can you contribute to the music, not what you want to play, but actually what the music asks you to play, right? So that's one of the things. The other thing that I really enjoy is that in jazz, you don't see things as mistakes. You see things as prompts for not ideas. So if, if someone plays the right, the wrong chord, let's say you can look at it and you can understand like this is tension. So I can, how can I uh, capitalize on that tension and increasing in order to, to, to solve it so some of these principles i i i, I understand that it, it would be very good if you if you if you could 
pick them up from from a jazz group and implement them on another group of people that are building this 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 these projects from a model, from a modern golden age the question is how does one do it and so that's 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 actually my question to you like what wow how can we build that seniors where these kind of principles or these kind of social technologies and, and social mechanism and ideas just emerge naturally yeah um so I love that. I love the idea of the social technologies of jazz being useful, like studying the social technologies of jazz specifically because we've noticed that jazz musicians are so talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what is it that makes them so talented? What is it makes that makes that social interaction mm-hmm. so smooth? Mm-hmm. Um, they are maybe more socially talented than many of the best rhetoricians, or maybe some of the best rhetoricians are doing the same thing that jazz musicians are doing. Or yeah. you know, like, there's very interesting questions there, but. Um, the other thing I would say is like, first, uh, seniors, I don't consider seniors to be a social technology. I consider it mm. to be a qualitative assessment of a uh, social context oh, or like okay. a group of people, basically. So, okay. so senior, like basically like the best, the best jazz group ever or whatever, you know, it's like a good example. It's like, oh, probably a seniors in the sense that like, uh, or probably came from a seniors, like yeah. Many of the jazz musicians, probably best jazz musicians, probably were living in the same city. They were probably mm-hmm. like knew each other, kind mm-hmm. of. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, and there's something. There's a question there. It's like, why? You know, what what is going on? Why is it that? Why is it that those people knew each other? Shouldn't it also just be true that the best jazz musicians could come from totally different places? Like, why yeah. does it make sense that they all know each other? And studying that question of like the qualitative assessment that, oh wow, the best people really all did come from the same context. Mm-hmm. Um, you can assess that context as like a great context. And so, and then I think actually the correct question is very much like, what are the social technologies of seniors? Yeah. What is it that these ha- contexts have in common? What are, what are they doing? Like, how are yeah. they doing it? Uh, I don't have full answers. I think um, I have some hypotheses and I have some things that I'm pretty confident on. So the first social technology that I would say I'm confident that every senior uses that I have studied is unblocking is what I call it unblocking Mm -hmm. so basically the idea that if anybody gets stuck if anybody uh needs help or if anybody could be going faster like there is a there is a forward momentum people are pushing each other they are unblocking each other whenever somebody's stuck people are like coming together and getting creative about how to unstick them or the social context is one such that people can't get stuck in the first place like there is no such thing as stuck so jazz is this interesting example where it's like mm-hmm. oh there's no such thing as a mistake if you're a master of jazz yeah. because every mistake is an opportunity to continue pushing the music forward yeah um and i think great like seniors that I, every senior that i studied have people like that it's interesting because it's often a social role so mm-hmm. often there is like one or two people who are in the scene who like because of their goodwill uh the goodwill spreads as a mm-hmm. technology. And I think this gets to the mimesis I was talking about, basically. When you see mm-hmm. somebody give goodwill and then somebody be so appreciative, it's like, oh, you, that is, that's viral. You watch yeah. that happen, you're like, I want to give goodwill now. Like, I want to be yeah. the person who helps people get unstuck. Um, so I think one thing you will find if you go and you study like the greatest scientific organizations or the greatest research labs or the greatest writing groups, um, mm-hmm. one thing you'll find is that those people are deeply collaborative in a way that is more than the vast majority of groups, deeply, deeply collaborative. So whenever somebody is stuck on a problem, they have people they can go to. Not only that, people will actively ask others about their problems, Mm -hmm. and then they will actively listen and bring ideas forward and Mm -hmm. help people get unstuck. Mm -hmm. 
The other social technology that I'm quite confident every Seniors uses is basically playing a unique game is what I call it. Hmm. So really, I think this is about constraints and social freedom. Uh, that's my that's my suspicion for the mechanism of action, but, but that's hmm. just a hypothesis. But I know that they play unique games. So what I mean by playing a unique game is I mean that the thing that they care about, the thing that they like are exchanging status for or are like competing to do or, or are in concert in order to bring about that thing, nobody on the outside of the group can tell them how to evaluate it. Nobody, you know, they are not, the, the unique game is not something that an external arbiter can tell them they are doing good or bad at. Only mm. they can determine within the group what that game is and what it like what means what it means to be good at that game and what it means mm. to be bad at that game. Does and that I think, mean sorry, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but does that mean that because because this is really interesting and, and I'm already having a bunch of ideas and questions, like does that mean when when you say that outside people cannot tell them if they're good or if they're doing good or bad? Does that mean they, the outside people don't have any kind of feedback at all or the, or the outside can give feedback, but the group just simply ignores it? They don't care. Yeah, the they group doesn't care. Yeah. Um, there, needs to be, there needs to be protection, basically. There, yeah. needs to, there needs to be protection. I consider it like incubation almost. Mm. Like, like the thing which you are creating, which is mm. so nascent and new and, and risky and, like, uh, and not understood, that thing needs to be protected from judgment. Because if somebody looks at it and says like, oh, that's weird. Mm. And then you believe them, like you take that to heart, you like yeah. really deeply feel, oh, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. So I should stop. Mm. Then it's over. The game is over. There is no mm -hmm. more game anymore. But needs to be these groups need, the, yeah. yeah, exactly. The group, the, the game needs to be protected from people who think that the game is weird, basically. And mm -hmm. oftentimes that happens because, or, or like really once, I would almost say like once it becomes a game, that is fundamentally the thing which protects it. You know, like mm. they are playing a unique game in the sense that they like really have fun doing this. They want to do it. They are doing it for their own reasons, for their own volition, not for external validation. Um, that game is like contained within the scene. Yeah. And that game is quite unique often. So like, you know, new art forms are a good example or like new philosophical traditions Absolutely. or um, writing groups that are pushing the boundary on a new form of literature or research labs that are pushing the boundary on uh, a type of science. Yeah, It's like those groups, oftentimes if they don't have that creative space to decide for themselves what is good, mm -hmm. um, then the external people would just say like, you should be working on something more useful. You yeah, know, like absolutely. you should be working on the thing that we think is useful instead. Yeah. Um, admittedly, I think there's a danger here, which is that like, if you, if you have that, uh space and you don't have any sort of and you don't have good judgment i guess is like maybe mm -hmm. really the best way to describe mm -hmm. it then like you actually are just making like not very useful things yeah uh and but is it possible to, to find because because uh, uh, i because there's a lot of interesting things in, in what you're, you're, you're proposing uh but like is it possible that if there's a bunch of people uh actually Like, like if, if there's only one individual, of course, that you, you may lack uh, the judgment to understand that. But if you have like a scene where you have a bunch of group, do you believe that it's still possible for that group all uh, to all of them actually lack that judgment or from the moment where you, you just 
you're not only an individual but a group do you still believe that that may happen did i do you understand so, yeah, my question okay yeah, yeah yeah i do understand the question so the thing that you're the thing that you're trying to avoid yeah i would say like no it's not possible given you're not a cult basically yeah <laughs> so like the thing you're trying to avoid is like some sort of cult like reality distortion field that happens mm -hmm. where like nobody actually has the good in them anymore and like the good mm -hmm. is like totally externalized to like something that people are looking like idolatry or, mm -hmm. or worship basically mm -hmm. like i feel like once once the members of the group are doing worship then it starts to go down like a trickier path mm -hmm. where whatever they are worshiping that is the only arbiter of good anymore that is the only judge and yeah. Um, and that's the very reason they needed to be protected from the outside world, right? Like the reason they needed to be protected from the outside world is because the outside world was not a good arbiter. It's yeah. not a good judge of what you should or shouldn't do. Yeah. So they created this protection. But then if inside the protection, like a charismatic leader is now the only arbiter of what is good, you better hope that that charismatic leader has very good judgment. If they yeah. do, then that's actually not a problem. You know, like maybe like maybe you could look at Apple and say like, well, Steve Jobs was the arbiter. He was yeah. the judge of what is good and what is bad. Um, And he had good judgment. And so Apple yeah. was lucky because yeah. if Steve Jobs did not have good judgment, then the company would not have succeeded. Yeah. Um, of course. And, and, and as you were saying, like, because I was thinking about like the, the example of jazz and seniors and how they all connect to each other. And it, the, the common pattern is this musician called Miles Davis, uh, which is basically like he was the one guy with whom everyone that played ended up being like these awesome players. So I, I, I as I was listening to you, I, I do believe that in order for us to build the seniors, one of the things that we may need is like this, uh, like you, what you just say, like playing in a unique game, that makes absolute sense. Because there's a bunch of times that they're, they're, and once again, leading it to Miles, like Miles would push the boundaries of what was yes. happening in jazz. So he was the unblocker. Yeah, in, yeah. In he was, the, right? yeah. absolutely. absolutely. And, and what happened was sometimes the musicians that were playing with him were scared of how others would, uh, of how the audience would react. But since Miles was such a, a, a famous figure in music, they think, well, if you play this under Miles, things might work out. And then, and, and having that freedom, once again, to explore that music, it then, ended up actually people would end up loving it and 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 all that so so one of the things that i really believe is that playing unique game that makes total sense the the, the other thing that i believe that is is common in in the jazz scene is uh, is is the presence of once again a leader that it's uh, and you have some notes on this like a wholesome leader right it's it's the kind of leader that you want in a senior mm, right uh and and another thing is like this passion about a given area which i guess it's it's related to to playing a, a, a unique game um and so those those are some of the the elements that that definitely make makes it is there any more um element that that um that you think it's part of a senior's Besides those I, that you already mentioned? So, like, definitely, yes. But I would say they're, like, all much more hypothetical. So, like, one of the things you mm. mentioned is, like, a wholesome leader. It's like, I'm not actually yeah. sure. Like, do all seniors need a wholesome leader? One of the things that I point out is that a wholesome leader is an example of a social technology that mm. helps coordinate people. Um, mm. Because if you have a leader who is, like, selfish, then the group can start to fall apart, like, very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, but... There are lots of examples of groups with leaders who are selfish, actually, that were fine. 
And so what's interesting about this space is that it's so high dimensional that mm. you have like so many different ways of doing it correctly. But I yeah. think what's interesting is trying to find the common threads. One of the things I try to separate is the difference between what I call like a great group and a great context yeah. where I consider a great group to be going after feats. Like they are, they have a mission that is very clear that they are like work. I would, I would say not even a mission. They have an objective mm, and cool. they are like, and they create operations in order to achieve the objective in order mm -hmm. to accomplish feats. So like, I think labs are good examples of this. Like they have clear objectives, um, hypotheses to test, uh, feats that they want to accomplish. And a good example of the other thing, a great context. So like, for instance, the Apollo project, great group, mm -hmm. even though it's mm -hmm. huge, like 50,000 people, but, mm -hmm. but it's still a great group. And I think a great context is actually like a more fertile environment. Great groups are emerging from inside the, the great context. And, um, and these groups are like not totally objective oriented or something like that. And in fact, they reject that. They reject the imposition of, mm. of requirements, yeah. right? Because that is a constraint. Like the, yeah. And these groups don't want these constraints, although they, they want them once they're self-imposed. It's, it's yeah, like yeah. in a great context, you are almost searching for the right constraint, which yeah. you are willing to work toward. Yeah. Um, but all and, these but, people but, are like exploring together. Yeah, and, and actually those constraints will um, emerge uh, like by having yes. interactions with people and by having interactions and talking about things that they want to build, then the constraints will, will emerge and say, well, yeah, that makes sense. We, we should limit our, what we're doing in this direction or point out on that direction but it's not uh it's not imposed by others but self-imposed by the group uh and one of the things that you actually mentioned as well is like this uh, uh the the importance of uh filtering who enters the scene and who doesn't and who gets into the group and who doesn't and yeah. talk a little bit about that why is that important um i think it's it's obviously important for the for the reasons that we we all have experienced in our lives it's like Relationships need to have energy and momentum, both mm -hmm. of these things. Um, and I would say energy comes from individuals and momentum comes from the, the relationship. I don't know the best, like imagine jazz. Yeah. Uh, energy comes from the, the players. They put energy into the music mm -hmm. and momentum comes from the music itself. Mm -hmm. The music is where the momentum is stored. Mm -hmm. If the music itself is discordant and not jiving, it doesn't matter how much people play on their instruments. It doesn't matter how much energy they put in. It doesn't matter how much yeah. they try because no amount of energy can like make up for the lack of momentum Absolutely. in the music. Um, and, and it turns out that like cultivating both of those things is, is not easy. Uh, it requires like a very uh, perfect cocktail of relationships and motivations um, and social technologies. And so the role of filtering, I think it's tricky and every group kind of has to decide for themselves what it is that they're doing. But mm -hmm. one of the quotes I like from Alan Kay is, I wonder if I can find it. Um, yes, ARPA slash Park, Alan Kay uh, created a great context or was, was a part of a great context basically and talked about it in this amazing essay called The Power of Context, which I highly recommend. And the great context he's talking about is the ARPA slash Park community. Not any particular team, not any particular project, but this context, this community, basically. And he's saying that in ARPA Park, we had two main thresholds, self-motivation and ability. We cultivated people who had to do, paid or not, and whose doings were likely to be highly interesting 
and important. So the way I sort of view this self-motivation and ability, I sort of view this self-motivation as, as energy, mm-hmm. um, where it's like they have to do paid or not. Like these people bring energy to the group, mm-hmm. um, but whose doings were likely to be highly interesting and important. I sort of see that as like their ability to contribute to the, the thing, the, mm-hmm. the game, the project, mm-hmm. like whatever, because interesting and important, um, those are used in relation to something, you know, like yeah. you can't be objectively universally interesting yeah. and important. There is, you are interesting and important to the thing we are working on, to the yeah. project, to the game, to the yeah. scene, maybe to yeah. a golden age or to the music. And yeah. so it's almost like you want people who both have a lot of energy and bring a lot of energy, but if they bring a lot of energy and they're, and it's diverting the group away from what the group is trying to do, that's yeah. not helpful. Yeah. It needs to be energy that is directed in, in the right direction, I would say. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's why it's important to filter in to make sure that there's, there's a balance between the energy that you bring, as you said, but also the, the value that you bring to the group. Because there's these high energetic people that often sometimes don't offer that much value to the thing that we're trying to build. To this that, thing, yes. They need yeah. to be doing a different thing, basically. Yeah. And yeah, actually, precisely. like one of the things I should mention, because I think I might have sandbagged a little bit, um, it's incredibly important not to get this wrong. I mean, like one wrong mistake, if you're in, unable to like kick somebody out of the group can mean the difference between the group staying together and just falling apart. Because all yeah. you have to think about it, when you have all these people who have to do paid or not, like they, it is in their soul to need to do this thing, to be unconstrained, to be yeah. free. Yeah. And then you put in one person who prevents them from doing what they want to do. Yeah. They are gone they will leave immediately, you know, Um, or they will, or they will start to like feel strong emotions and anxieties and like all of that will block the work also. And so I think one of the hardest things for any community organizer is basically like figuring out this problem because you, you, uh, you don't want to be too exclusive. You especially don't want to like add neuroses. Like you don't want to like, it's almost like people need to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to avoid adding people to the group because mm-hmm. you're afraid of challenging the members. People, mm-hmm. you want the members to be challenged. And so you don't want to create an echo chamber or anything like that. But you also need to avoid anybody who will destroy yeah. the vibe because, yeah. I mean, once it's gone, you can't really bring it back. It's very yeah. hard. Yeah, because one of the things that I personally believe is that in order for 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 to have to have those kinds of groups, you need some common values. Like, because uh, yeah. I may I may have like a bunch of beliefs that you don't agree or that are not the same, or a bunch of practices or habits or or even goals that we don't agree. But I do believe that if our values are aligned, whatever like the the opposition that I will bring into the table will be a positive one will be a, like right. something that allows us to grow because we know that deep down we have like this shared meaning uh, or, or share yeah. uh, shared values once again uh, and and so that brings me to to, to uh, like another question which is as, as I mentioned, like my main goal is to understand what are some of the values, goals, practices, and beliefs that we need in order to bring to, to, to that modern golden age and in order to create this, this seniors. And so my question is, of course, we've talked a lot about practices and beliefs and values already, but if you had like to summarize to you, Andrew, what are some of the values, beliefs, practices, and goals we should have in order to bring a modern golden age? Oh, man. That's a hard 
That's a hard question. Values, beliefs, practices, practices and goals. And goals. like you don't you don't have to answer okay. to all of them, but give right. me give me the best. Let's go down the list. So starting with values. Oh, this is so hard. Um, I think I think part of what makes it so hard is that like what a value is gets very tricky. Mm-hmm. So um so to me okay so one of the values that I think you have to have is you have to have a value of of personal happiness. Mm. Uh and when I say like person personal happiness I don't mean a lot of people I think like it's like this exuding of joy. Like you each person should cultivate joy. Uh and and I think really joy is a thing that you can cultivate. Yeah. And I think there is there's this common debate in my circles of like happiness versus meaning um you know and and which of them is more important it's like no this is false dichotomy <laughs> false dichotomy mm-hmm. like these are Absolutely. two different they're two different things they're both crucially important and Absolutely. and like actually very related but but you can't trade your happiness for meaning you must exude joy you must cultivate joy like you must be yeah. happy um i i really think that has to be a value i think mm-hmm. any any golden age which claims to trade happiness for something else as if that is a thing we can do i think is is already corrupt from a Absolutely. values perspective um and and i think you really have to focus on like all these other things come from happiness like happiness mm-hmm. allows you to push harder it like it brings you more energy yeah. um and then i think for me when i'm looking at maybe more practical values aside from like really high level things i'm looking at like curiosity of individuals in the group i think is very important you need like high openness because a like a, an authoritarian golden age is no golden age at all yeah me. and so yeah. you have to come from a place of curiosity and i also think because of the happiness thing i mentioned there's a charitability that i think is very important a kindness or love i guess maybe is the best way to describe it um i think cultivating like love or exuding love is is really crucial because i think that's what kind of allows you to have equanimity um even when things are going badly mm-hmm. even it allows you it's what allows you to unblock people when their their block is emotional mm-hmm. uh, so when somebody like when somebody's mad at you when they're annoyed at you um that's a blocker right it's an emotional blocker yeah. but it's a blocker it's blocking your relationship it's blocking your ability to coordinate it's blocking your um it's blocking the seniors it, basically it's blocking the golden age uh, yeah. if if we're mad at each other all the time i think the importance of cultivating love in addition to happiness um is that love allows you to look at that person and help them fundamentally and want to help them mm-hmm. instead of fighting back instead of getting angry back or uh or causing your own problems or even just internalizing it and being grumpy and then like taking it out on somebody else mm-hmm. like if you really center the way that you approach these emotional problems with love it's like yeah you might have to give tough love or you might have to like this is not to say that we should necessarily always accept people treating us badly yeah like, yeah, yeah. totally different the point is just when you approach those interactions if you approach them from a place of love then you won't let it corrupt your mm-hmm happiness mm-hmm. and you in fact might even like you might even come up with creative solutions i would almost say like like love is the problem solving of the emotional world or something yeah. 
Yeah. Like it's, it is the, the solutions oriented mindset. Absolutely. Whereas if, if you're in an engineering context, you kind of want this like intellectual curiosity. You want to like always approach things with curiosity and questioning and like, mm-hmm. you want to come up with the right solution. Mm-hmm. I think with emotional problems, it's exactly the same way. Love is like curiosity, but with respect to your relationships. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, maybe those, like, maybe, yeah. maybe that's enough for me. Like, you yeah. know, if everybody exuded joy. If we all were curious constantly about the systems that we're a part of and making yeah. them better. And if we were all able to approach emotional problems with love, yeah. it's almost like, actually, there's an interesting thing here, which I, which I didn't consider. It's almost like there's the inner world for which happiness is the virtue mm-hmm. um, of the self of like the inner world. And then there's like the, uh, external physical world, the material world for which mm-hmm. curiosity is the biggest virtue because it allows you to understand it and to make mm-hmm. better of it. And then there's like the interpersonal relationship world. And mm-hmm. for that love is yeah. the virtue that allows you to, to yeah. really thrive. Yeah. That's a great relationship between the different worlds and the different main value of it. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you one more question, uh, which is like, you talked about values. I don't need practices, goals or, or, those two I can live without because I, I think we already mentioned a bunch of them, but what are some beliefs that uh, you think we like at least one belief that we think you think we need to have in order to be a part of a modern golden age? That's an interesting question. Um, I tend not to focus on beliefs too much because uh even though I do think they're important, I, th- I think there's some part of me that shies away from belief as like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody they should have faith. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, mm-hmm. I don't want, I do kind of think that faith is important, which is a separate thing, but like, mm-hmm. but I, but I wouldn't ever want to tell that to somebody else. Yeah. It's like, you yeah. must sort of ha- adopt these beliefs for yourself. Yeah. But in terms of like, what beliefs do I think are important for myself um, in order to bring about a modern golden age? I guess, I think the most important one is that as a species, we share values as like humans we have a set of shared values fundamentally Mm -hmm. and we do not live in like a fundamentally conflicted world we do not live in like a fundamentally misaligned world with like uh people who have fundamentally different values fighting for their values against each other it's like no i actually think when you really boil it down um one of the things i'm really into is studying religions i study like a lot of different religions a lot of different religious texts Mm -hmm. and And one of the things I've realized is like, I have basically not ever encountered a religion that I can't map onto every other religion in terms of its concepts. It's all, it's, there are a few, a very select few true contradictions. I think especially around like the biggest one for me tends to be around like a conflict, the value of conflict and, and death almost like, and especially like savagery, like warfare Mm. or something like, I think some belief systems really do believe that like violence is virtuous Mm -hmm. in a way that allows for death and rebirth and Mm -hmm. allows for like karmic justice and Mm -hmm. and these sorts of things um, to use different frames. And I think it's fair actually to, that maybe is one of the things that I think there's real, there's real concern around, but most, but that's very rare. I think that's mostly in times of war. Like I think that's people like kind of justifying warring times Mm -hmm. and mostly in times of peace. I think people, always kind of come to the same values mm-hmm. uh, 
so I guess I guess that's the belief that I think is most important. The belief that like if we work hard enough, if we come to understand each other enough, that we're all fighting for the same thing here. Yeah. We all mostly want the same sorts of lives, um, yeah. but we all approach those lives in different ways. Different and ways. like and you know we have to be given the freedom to yeah. to find those ways of living our lives. Yeah, that makes a little sense. And, and that would just add up to me. One of the beliefs that I I do believe we need uh, is is the idea that. Uh, things can get better. We we have oh, yes, agency. Yes, absolutely. We have agency. Yeah. Cause because the problem is that we, we can have all these things and all the but if if suddenly you're face you face like this blockage and you think well that's it that's the bottom line and we can we can change this I don't have any agency to deal with this uh that that will be a problem. So I do believe that in order for us to get into a modern golden age the, the belief that things can get better is one of the most important ones. Totally Andrew, yeah. uh, I do have just one one last question before before we wrap this up, which is you talked about fractal and about your own uh, you're trying to build your own seniors. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, totally. So I think the the main thing to point out is that it's an experiment. So uh, and I'm trying to build like something as anti-fragile as possible. So Priya and I, my partner, we've been building community uh, for a few years now, our first co-living house was in San Francisco and we learned a lot of lessons doing that. And then when we moved to New York, we were living in community as well. And we decided, oh wait, like let's make this bigger. We expanded, we got a second unit in the same building. And then we're like, this is awesome. It's awesome to have friends in the same building. Let's do it again. And we expanded, we have a third unit in the same building and now we're looking to get more units in the same building. And and I was doing the seniors research project with my friend, Jason Ben. And I mean, the thing that we talked about earlier as well, and um, and I think we were constantly discussing what is the optimal, what is the optimal structure, like meta structure, scaffolding almost, in which seniors can come about. And one of the things that Jason and I really agree on is that one of the best scaffoldings is a neighborhood, a campus almost, mm-hmm. a place where people are not in each other's private space necessarily but they are constantly in each other's public space they are seeing each other in the hallways they are meeting each other at the gym you attend the same coffee shops you have the same Mm -hmm. friends you go to the same parties um there's like a social milieu that with the right people gives you both the freedom to opt out so like for instance if one group of people joins the neighborhood that other people don't like there's like natural click forming that happens that is just normal and I mean, you might remember from your high school campus. It's like, yeah. it's not like everybody needs to be friends with everybody. At yeah, absolutely. Campus, you know? And, and so one of the beliefs that we have sort of is like, if we could have more of these places where 100 to 200 people who have the same values, mm. uh, beliefs, you know, goals, objectives, et cetera, or at least have all the same values and have many of them have shared goals mm. um, and shared practices, then what will happen is you will see seniors emerge from those mm. locations and you don't necessarily need to be sure in advance what that's going to look like. And you mm-hmm. don't need to, you don't need to create a religion. You don't need to create yeah. a system of beliefs or like a system of faith or anything like that, because these 100 to 200 people will figure it all out for themselves just that's by being around each other. Yeah. Um, so basically that's what we're trying to do. And we're in the early stages still, we have like 15 people living in the same building. Awesome. And what we want to do is, increase that number to 100 people living in the same neighborhood. Basically, we all want to be within a 10-minute walk from each other. We want to be going to the same gyms and the same coffee shops. Um, so that's that's basically the goal with Fractal. Yeah. And the idea of Fractal, too, is that it's not one 
big house. We're not like a 50 people in a mansion. Mm-hmm. We are like 50 people that are kind of fractally spread out across different buildings, mm-hmm. uh, different train stops, but who are mm-hmm. all close to each other and are all part of basically the same value yeah. community. Yeah. Awesome. That, that, that makes total sense. That's, yep. that's such a good project. So Andrew, once again, I, I just want to really say thank you for the conversation. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. You're clearly someone who has done some deep research on this. My last question is, uh, if people want to connect with you to know more about Fractal, probably if possible, if they're in New York and want to be part of it, yep. what's the best way to do it? Like, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so the easiest way is on Twitter. Um, basically, you can find me Oh man, my Twitter handle is horrible. It's at <laughs> underscore underscore Drew Face, but um, but we'll I don't know. Maybe it'll be linked in the yeah, yeah, in the yeah description yeah. or something like that. And then yeah, I, I do want to extend an invitation, which is like anybody who's in New York that wants to meet up or wants a default community or wants to you know like talk about anything. I'm the sort of person that really believes that it doesn't take very much time. It doesn't take very much effort to just like meet people at the park or invite people to a party or whatever. Absolutely. Um, So if anybody does want to connect, yeah, you're absolutely welcome to. You're welcome to ask me questions. Yeah, awesome. And I'll just pick pick that up and say if anyone is in Lisbon and wants to do the same, I'm also (laughs) yes. Uh, (laughs) The next time I'm in Lisbon, I'll I'll oh please let me know. We'll we'll I'll definitely we'll definitely have to schedule that up, and I'll need to go to New York to to meet you in person as well. So Andrew, once again. Thank you so much for the conversation. It was a real blast. Uh, and I really hope that you guys at Fractal uh, have in, in tremendous success. To everyone listening, you can review the podcast on your favorite platform podcast. Uh, and if you have any feedback, you know how to reach out. The links will be on the description, for, both for Andrew and for me. And I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.